the benefit of those those of you who might not be familiar with um, that uh, uh, little ritual surrounding um, the the teaching of Dhamma um, the the verse that um, Robert was just reciting so uh, expertly he spent last year in the monastery so <coughs> thoroughly trained um, this is a, a customary traditional way of uh, requesting uh, a teaching of Dhamma um, it uh, dates from the, the time of the, the Buddha's enlightenment and um, as uh, some of you might know that uh, immediately after uh, the Buddha's awakening um, over the, the first few weeks uh, of contemplating the, his insight and the experience he'd had of, of complete liberation he uh, came to the conclusion that uh, no one is ever, ever going to understand this this is uh, totally impossible to explain this so there's no point trying and so um, he uh, uh, this thought took shape in his mind that uh, there was uh, any effort that he might make in order to try and convey the the substance of that realization to anybody else was, was pointless so he might as well just sort of uh, carry on as a hermit and, and not bother trying to um, uh, convey that. And so then, as the story goes, this uh, um, Brahma god, this deity called uh, Sahampati, who in Buddhist mythology is the kind of uh, CEO of the universe. He's the uh, the uh, the the one in charge of the, this particular section of the space-time continuum and so he, in the, the mind of this, this deity he, um, uh, this, uh, uh, the Brahma picks up this thought passing through the mind of the Buddha and suddenly um, is alarmed and alerted and then disappears from the Brahma realm and appears in front of the Buddha and makes this um, plea, this request, as saying, um, there are. It's, in, it's indeed true that many living beings, many people, are are pretty thick, and um, there are many who will not understand uh, what you might have to say. But uh, the world will be lost. The world will be utterly lost if you do not uh, share what you. Uh, under, you now understand because uh, it, uh, the fact is that there are a few with just a little dust in their eyes and so for the sake of, of those few um, please teach the, the Dhamma that you have awakened to and so then the Buddha cast his um, his eye of, uh, of a clairvoyant eye around the, the world and saw that, they, that the Brahma was right that uh, actually there were beings who had a little dust, just just a little dust in their eyes, and um, 
so he decided for the sake of uh, that small percentage that he would uh, give his heart to, to trying to convey this, uh, this truth, these teachings. So we are the uh, inheritors of that, um, um, the Brahma Sampati having a little panic attack and uh, taking action, intervening and stopping the, the Buddha from uh, wandering off into the Himalayas and becoming a, uh, a solitary hermit. So we should be grateful Um, so since that time, uh, in a, a similar vein, the um, uh, and the whole style of teaching that the Buddha carried on through his life was that of uh, not um, proselytizing, not going around sort of knocking on doors and spreading the uh, the word to um, people who didn't express an interest, but um, just a teaching on invitation, wherever people uh, were interested or people did ask or, or, or wanted to um, know what uh, he understood, or then he would be happy to teach and to, to share that, that, that understanding. But um, the tradition from his own style of teaching, and ever since then, has been that um, the, the teaching needs to be coaxed forth, needs to be invited so that um, uh, even today in, in uh, most uh, countries, certainly most Buddhist countries and, and uh, other countries like this, it's, um, there's a, a general tone of, of, of uh, um, say, the people expressing an interest rather than, than you know, Buddhist uh, missionaries uh, trying to roused up interest by knocking on doors and putting up uh, banners and, uh, um, uh, and drawing people in by promises of, of uh, this, that and the other. Although uh, there's a large Chinese monastery near us um, where uh, the, uh, the late abbot, uh, the city called the City of Ten Thousand Buddhas, where um, the, uh, the, the abbot encouraged the um, establishment of a vegetarian restaurant for the local population. He said, well, you know, you just give them good food. <laughs> get that gets them in the gate, and then once they're in the gate, they, then they, they like the food, and then they start to take a look around and say, oh, this is a peaceful place. I wonder what goes on here. So, so we're not above putting out a little bait occasionally. <laughs> but uh, the general principle is one of not uh, not uh, proselytizing. So even when you know you've you've all all come to this place and um, <laughs> gather together, and uh, it's even on the program, you know, evening dhamma talk. Still, we have the little um, ceremony to reiterate that principle of um, you know the the dhamma needing to be called forth by by the circumstances. It has to have a cause for it to uh, to arise. This is a, uh, maybe I should also just say this is a very um, delightful occasion uh, for me, uh, both to, to be back um, here at our uh, 
familiar surroundings of the Angela Center, the Thanksgiving retreats, uh, all getting a little older and a little more wrinkled, maybe a little wiser. Same coughs and sneezes, probably the same germs or the offspring of the last year's germs, kind of still the uh, few generations on, uh, the autumnal uh, damp, cool weather, and the uh, the beautiful um, persimmon trees and the, the splattering fruit and the beautiful orange uh, leaves at this time of year. Also, um, being here. Uh, sharing the teaching with Ajahn Sundra um, is, uh, is uh, very delightful. She pointed out that um, we actually hadn't uh, taught here together or been here at Angela Center since 1990 when uh, Ajahn Sumedho invited the two of us and uh, Sister Jodhika to come along. So that's uh, ancient history by now. So Ajahn Sundra has taught many times here in California but uh, the two of us hadn't uh, been here before since that time and uh, so uh, we cross paths occasionally and spend time in the same places uh, occasionally but um, we spent a lot of our formative monastic years uh, together in uh, back in the old days when <laughs> so kind of back in the trenches uh, when we were at uh, Chithurst Monastery more than um, 20 years ago so uh, I've known Ajahn Sundra for about half of my life now. She slightly has known me slightly less than half of her life. You can do the math. <laughs> so even though I've got more wrinkles, she's actually ten years older than me. So. Um, <laughs> but now that we're monastics, we're beyond all that kind of concerns about age. But so we came into this game at about around about the same time uh, in '79. So it's uh, it's nice to be just sort of briefly uh, connecting and being in the same place together, and also having this opportunity to to help um, lead this retreat. Uh, it's uh, when when you uh, have been in the same outfit together with someone, um, or been working with someone, or in the same uh, situation together for a couple of decades, you know, there's this uh, tendency to drift into the old war stories. <laughs> Back in the old days, do you remember when? <laughs> so there's a certain, uh, you have to forgive us if we drift into that occasionally, but uh, it's, uh, there's a certain um, delightfulness, the kind of having been through a lot, uh, shared a lot of, um, of uh, hopes and uh, disappointments and ups and downs and triumphs and crises uh, in, uh, in company with uh, other people. So uh, it's very delightful to have um, time together to um, uh, see. Uh, uh, cooperating and leading an event and uh, having had so much of a, a kind of shared history and uh, shared experience of, of uh, training in this um, strange uh, business of uh, not only of Buddhist monasticism but human life <laughs> itself.
when uh, we come together here today, um, it's already been more than 24 hours. Of, uh, subjectively, of, uh, it might have been a very quick 24 hours, it might have been an extraordinarily long 24 hours, but we've been here uh, a day together with each other. And um, yes, I often consider how much uh, happens uh, during that, that first day, how much uh, ground uh, the mind can cover, or how much. Um, ground the mind can be covered by. <laughs> Probably more accurate way of mapping the experience, how much... Uh, um, but it is amazing, isn't it? Uh, all just the range of stuff that, that pops up during the, the first day of a, of a retreat. And, um, and so it's always helpful to... Um, not a, to uh, um, to be employing the um, the reflective capacity that we have to um, to hold all of that in context. So one of the things that I, I find it's uh, it's helpful in throughout my my uh, monastic life and um, taking on the 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 um, the teachings of the Buddha and the practices of uh, meditation and uh, the renunciate lifestyle and the commitment as a monastic and, and then also part of this particular community, Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Sumedho lineage. Um, there it's one of the things that, um, that I found very inspiring and encouraging from the very beginning was that there wasn't this kind of um, uh, Fanatical uh, adherence to an ideal, like you know, this is the best thing. This is the most pure. This is the most wonderful. This is the true teaching. You know, this is the only way to uh, to nibbana. This is the true path to ultimate rea you know, realizing ultimate truth. And um, the kind of um, sort of spiritual saber rattling, you know, jingoism of of um, you know that. Uh, adhering to a particular idea or teaching or practice as being um, the best, the purest, the most, the, the most uh, ultimatist. <laughs> but uh, from the very beginning I was really impressed by the way that uh, Ajahn Chah and other uh, experienced and committed students with him would encourage the kind of questioning, considering, well, what are you doing here? Well, why do you want to... Uh, when, when people would uh, come and see Ajahn Chah and say, I want to be a, I want to be a monk. I'm, de I'm absolutely determined. I'm sure I really want to be a monk for the rest of my life. And he'd say, why? Why do you want to do that? <laughs> what for? And uh, that was a, a, a not an unallowable question, even you know you've been there for years and years, and you're supposed to be a card-carrying member. That we would be encouraged, uh, and and, uh, this, and this is something that um, they try to pass on. It's like, well, why are we here? What are we doing? Well, what is this all for? Um, and in for myself, I found that a very encouraging and inspiring. 
but it was not like a, a forbidden question. You know, no, this is, don't even ask, don't doubt. Just this is the true way. This is the path. Uh, if you uh, if you doubt, then um, you know, everything will be lost. But that actual encouragement to doubt, to consider, to uh, to look for ourselves. So why so why are we here? <laughs> so why are we here? To to gather together this uh, eighty humans gathering together in this large sort of concrete and wooden box, uh, you know, here on a hillside in and the west coast of uh, Turtle Island, autumn season, um, you know, following this this uh, system of um, routine, the bell rings, you know, we all gather and sit down, close our eyes, don't move. The bell rings again, we get up, we all move out, scatter, walk up and down on the hillside, not talking to each other. Bell rings again. We all come back again. Sit down. Close our eyes. You know, to an outside observer, this is very, very peculiar. What are these people doing? You know, why? What's the purpose? Coming together in in uh, this evening and then lighting candles and incense. You know, bowing to a, the shrine chanting for a quarter of an hour in, in Pali, which you know, some of us are familiar with and have a sense of what the meaning might be. Some might um, have zero connection to, and it's just you know, a quarter of an hour of nonsense syllables. So I, I like to, uh, and this is something I've tried to do over the years, is to just be able to take that step back and say, well, what, is, what is this all for? And why, why should this have any meaning or value? What is this, um, this kind of um, system of training? What is it about? What's it for? Fundamentally, it seems like we, uh, the driving force is a, a sense of the potential for happiness, the potential for, for freedom. Something in us intuits that, that, that there's a, a true happiness, a true freedom. It's possible for us as individuals, as human beings. Something in us can really... Um, knows that that's, that's a potential. And, uh, and then there's a, along with that intuition, there's a sense of, um, of trust that the, the, the Buddha's way, the Buddha's teaching, contains within it the, uh, the capacity or the, the, the direction whereby we can find that happiness. We can find that, that quality of, of peace and freedom. So in a way, this is what the, uh, there's a basis of faith there. What's drawn us here is, is you know, faith in our own potential, faith in our own nature. 
what we as, as human beings have. And also that uh, there's a certain um, value in uh, gathering together with like-minded people to, um, to try and make that discovery. To, uh, to bring about that, um, to say, employ the, the Buddha's teaching and to, to find that happiness. And also that there's a, an intuition that it takes a bit of work. This is not just something that you can, that we can have done to us. Be nice, wouldn't it? Just get zapped. Just, uh, you know, there are, this, this being the Bay Area, and we don't have to flip through the uh, the uh, Bay Area spiritual directory, and there's you know, all kinds of zapping is possible. One eight hundred numbers galore. You can dial and uh, get zapped. Probably only costs you five thousand for the weekend. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's a one eight hundred number when you check in, and they, and they, they charge you afterwards. Yeah. So that that. Um, this is helpful to consider at the, at the, the outset of a, of a time like this. But um, what brings us here is this, is this faith in our own nature, this faith that within us, as part of our, of our nature, we do have this capacity to, to be free, to, to find true happiness. But that's, uh, that's potential within us. Now, oftentimes we don't, uh, in the West, we don't think of ourselves as, as faith types or, or sort of belief types, and that we we tend to think of ourselves, and, and um, a lot of the time we are uh, drawn towards a kind of skeptical, inquiring um, attitude that we, we need to experiment, we need to have something proved to us, we need to we don't just take things on trust. But when we uh, we begin to look we see, see that the kind of thing that draws us here to, to live in this place together, to put ourselves into a, a, a situation of, of discipline, of, of restraint, um, of training, is um, there's a fundamental faith operating uh, there, uh, a basic trust, a confidence that uh, that freedom is possible, that happiness is possible. So we might not think of it in that way, but, uh, but I'd like to suggest that's what it is, that uh, we, uh, we haven't been um, necessarily convinced by a piece of information or um, just taking it for granted or hearing it from someone else. But for most of us, and what I, I see um, is the thing that uh, when I ask myself, why am I here, why am I you know, a monk, why am I practicing meditation. It's the actual quality of, of experience that is the, the motive force, that's the power behind it, that's the thing that, that uh, say, holds my interest or my commitment together with this. And so, uh, particularly at the beginning of a retreat like this where we can have just so much, you know, bewildering array of, of different uh, thoughts and feelings and emotions and mood swings. I mean, how many mood swings can you get through in a day? You know, it's, uh, it's amazing just uh, how uh, 
wildly the heart can, can swing around. But if you notice, and, and uh, I say this over and over again to whenever I'm teaching, I say it to myself. <laughs> Don't think I'm just singling it out. But to notice really clearly and consciously when the mind is distracted, when our attention has leapt upon a particular wave of grief or a particular uh, interesting, colorful fantasy or um, a certain uh, nostalgic feeling, uh, when the mind has leapt upon a, a plan for the future or suddenly remembered an, a responsibility that we'd forgotten about, Just to notice, when the mind has gripped, has clasped onto something, we begin to notice how that feels as we, as we sit and, and walk and do the meditation. The mind's grabbed that. How does that feel? What is the, the, the quality of clinging like? How does that feel in the heart? And then when we, we recognize what, what's happened, the mind has jumped onto some some I some idea, some condition, some form, and we realize you know there's clinging going on, and then we let go. What happens at that moment? <coughs> what we notice is that as soon as the clinging stops, as soon as we we realize, oh, you know that was last year. Well, that hasn't ha that hasn't happened yet. It might never happen. Relax. We breathe out, let go. And as soon as the clinging stops, then what happens is that there's a moment, even if it's just fragmentary, just ever so brief, there's a moment where everything, the heart is, is at peace, is, uh, there's a quality of, of purity, of, of wholeness of brightness. And if, we, uh, and if we look closely, at that moment of letting go, there's actually no sense of self either. So, the more that we allow that, uh, ourselves to really see that, recognize, uh, feel that, that process happening, what is it telling us? Yeah, as that uh, the um, the cloudiness, the the density created by the, the the act of clinging. We feel that as a kind of heaviness, a limitation, a, a kind of uh, bondage. And as uh, as that loosens, what do we find? As that, uh, as that loosens, as that dissipates. Over and over again, no matter how many times it happens, no matter whether we're clinging to the past, clinging to the future, clinging to the excitement, clinging to the fear, regardless of what it is, whenever we uh, let go, what is there? There's peacefulness, purity, radiance, selflessness. Every time. Every single time. And so this is really the basis of faith. This is uh, in a way that was the, when the Buddha was enlightened, the enlightenment was 
to that same basic reality. Of, you know, obviously, in, in that situation, his awakening was far more complete and pervasive, and not just a, a momentary, uh, a momentary flash that then again it gets covered over by the next avalanche. But uh, but in that moment. We un- we're uncovering the true nature of the heart is being revealed. It's just that much. It's just that simple. But, um, and so in, in these early days of a retreat, just to, to keep letting yourself recognize that, just to allow yourself to, to notice that, and to let the implications of that soak through. Like, regardless of how noisy it gets, how kind of busy or lazy or, or heavy or depressed or excited or whatever it might be, just to keep noticing. Oh, when the, when the, when the heart lets go, then there's peacefulness, there's wholeness. So what that is suggesting is that that is the basic reality. That's the fundamental uh, nature of the, the mind. That's the heart's own, own nature. It's like the, you're letting the evidence accumulate. It's like the, the evidence is beginning to pile up, that no matter how many times you, you get lost, when you let go, there's always this quality of spaciousness, peacefulness, brightness, over and over and over and over again. So just no matter how um, busy you can get or how critical your self-view might be, just let that evidence pile up, and then we begin to see. Oh, that's this is why we uh, we train ourselves. This is why we come to be on a retreat like this. This is why we we uh, employ this kind of discipline. Is because in our heart of hearts we know this is the the true nature of of our own being and the the true nature of of, of all has the same timeless deathless quality. So I'm saying these things not just to sort of convince you of something that you um, that is new, really. I mean, in fact, all of us know this. All of us have, uh, have intuited this. All of us uh, have access to this. So it's just to encourage us to give that its full importance, to say, to recognize this is uh, an extremely significant, important uh, element. It puts everything else in the right context. That it's from the basis of this purity, this this reality, this deathless quality, then all that is uh, born and dying, all that is changing, all the thoughts and feelings and moods, perceptions, hot, cold, alert, dull, uh, feeling good, feeling bad, feeling inspired, feeling depressed, all of that is taking shape and and crystallizing and forming within that fundamental, uh, open, timeless space of the heart.
one of the, the greatest capacities that we have. Um, and during the course of this retreat, uh, hopefully you'll be um, looking at this and exploring this a, a lot more. It is the, the, the capacity we have to, to reflect, to consider. Oftentimes, thinking is portrayed as the, the, the great enemy of the meditator. Like, noise and thinking. <laughs> Knee pain is the close third, of course. But, <laughs> but noise outside and noise inside, the thinking mind internally and, and the traffic and, and the, those people in the room with me. Of course, when I make a noise, it's not really a noise. When other people make noises, then it's them. <laughs> Notice that? I love pointing out that, have you ever... How many of you were in thick traffic coming up here from, from the city? Yesterday evening. Okay. How many of you were traffic? <laughs> I really enjoy that. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how it's, there's traffic getting in my way. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? How many of us ever think, oh, what a shame that I'm being traffic for all these good people. <laughs> how unfortunate that I'm getting in their way. They'll be able to get to their destinations much quicker if I wasn't here clogging up the highway. <laughs> oh, dear. How unfortunate. Doesn't happen, does it? I, I was in New York last year, I said that, it was, it was brought the house down. <laughs> <laughs> no one in the entire hall had ever had that thought, out of about a hundred people. It never crossed anybody's mind. <laughs> so similar with, with, um, with noise in the room when you think, you know, the, you hear somebody sneeze or cough or shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> How insensitive. Then, of course, the, the, the proportion to which you're critical of somebody else coughing is then... Uh, it, it, it exactly matches the embarrassment, frustration and, and anxiety that you have when you want to cough. Or, that, uh, or the kind of the, the intensity of justification <laughs> that goes on. Where it's okay. It's okay if I have to. I really have to cough. <laughs> but somehow other people coughing is different. So we can get equally kind of um, fussy and critical about thinking and uh, the. Um, and generally speaking, in the medi meditation circles, thinking gets a, a really very, very seriously bad rap. Um, I'm not trying to suggest that it's, it's, a, it's a, a good thing just to be sitting here having the, the, the inner committee having a, a talk fest all day and all night, <laughs> every day. But, um, but it, it's, a, it's an error to think that that just uh, thought in itself is some kind of infection in the, in the mind and that the aim of meditation is to not think. Because uh, in terms of Buddhist psychology, just as the eyes perceive light, the ears perceive sound, 
the brain perceives thought. It's like a, it's a, it's a sense object. It's a, that's all. So just as we can see something or we can hear something and the heart can be completely at peace with that, similarly we can think something and that thought it does not have to be an intrusion or, or a, 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 um, an infection or a disturbance in the, the mind at all. It's just a, a pattern, just like the, the texture of this carpet is a feeling or, the, or its color or the sound of my voice is a sound. That it's just a, a sense object you don't have to make anything of it. It doesn't have any power in and of itself to obstruct or uh, confine, intrude upon the, the, the heart. And so what we find is that um, rather than, you know, than the feeling like we've got to just banish thought altogether, that um, when I use the, speak about reflection or, or contemplation, it's uh, it's like a skillful and a deliberate use of conceptual thought. So uh, many of the methods of developing insight in a very effective way involve that kind of contemplation or reflection. So what I mean is, is something like uh, when we are using the, um, uh, the uh, three characteristics of existence, anicca, dukkha, anatta, say using those um, qualities, impermanence, uncertainty, unsatisfactoriness and selflessness, to, to use ref, uh, wise reflection is to be, say, uh, picking up one of those qualities and, and using it to uh, examine or to, to investigate what it is that we're experiencing. So say, for example, um, you're, you're sitting here uh, or early this evening and you're, you're feeling hungry, stomach is rumbling, and you say, I, I really would like something to eat. I'm really hungry. I would like... <laughs> what would I like? I <laughs> and off it goes. And then I think this is really ridiculous. This is silly. This, I mean, everyone knows that you should eat several times a day in reasonable quantities. You know, it's far healthier for you. <laughs> the thesis, the food thesis, kind of gets launched and uh, goes uh, goes ranting on. And so then, what I mean by wise reflection is to say, to recognize the, the, what the mind is doing, say, ah, and then to, to take a step back from it and say, oh, this is the experience of suffering. Ah, this is dukkha. This is not getting what you want. Not getting what you want is dukkha. The Buddha said that. <laughs> I'm not getting what I want. This is dukkha. Oh, that's all. This is unsatisfactory. This is the experience of, of, of not getting what you want. So like a simple phrase like that, it's like, oh, I see. We, and in that moment of recognizing what it is, using a reflective thought to, say, uh, get a broader picture of what's going on, 
then we find that that whole uh, momentum of, uh, of, of thought, that whole flow of, of emotion, suddenly falls into a, into a context. We see it more clearly, and we can able to just to let go of it. Like, oh, this is me not getting what I want. Aha! <laughs> Feels like this. And suddenly we're much more able to let go of it. So that um, when uh, we are working with the, the flow of, of feeling and experience in this way, just using the, uh, say, the three characteristics like this, or like I was mentioning earlier today, just to reflect when the mind is going off into, into judgments about, uh, I feel like this, and I'm like that, and he's like this, and she's like that, or what's going to happen, oh, the, the first, this, I've never had such a bad first day of a retreat. I've, this, this knee, you know, already my knee pain is, is, this is a kind of a day eight knee pain. <laughs> it's never been this bad. Uh, you know, I better call the doctor. There must be a doctor. I wonder if there's any doctors around here. Who looks like a knee surgeon? <laughs> you know, off it goes. And then just to say, oh, here is the, the mind creating the future. What's going to happen? If this is day one and my knee feels like this now, day eight, what would it feel like? <laughs> so, oh, this is the mind meeting the unknown. And the fact is, we don't know. It's uncertain. Aha. Uh -huh. Anicca, it's uncertain. Oh. But yeah, but, 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 but. <laughs> But it is uncertain. So that we are, say, we're not suppressing thought, we're not just trying to, to, to bottle up emotion or, or wipe it out, but we're using uh, 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 this kind of reflective or investigative thought as a way of, of letting it come to an end or releasing it, letting go of it. And the Buddha used the analogy, he said it's like a, using a thought to extract another thorn. So you're using a thought to, to unpick an, another thought that's, that's got embedded. And then the, the third of these, uh, the reflection on anatta. Oftentimes people look upon the, the teachings of, uh, of selflessness, anatta, not self, as some kind of big philosophical conundrum, like, well, is the Buddha telling me that I don't exist? Well, he got everything else right, so he probably got that right too, so maybe I don't exist. So then, we get into a, we, uh, we usually get into a terrible tangle, like, well, maybe, does it mean that I don't exist? And what about everybody else? Or, or um, people call you up and, Hello, is that Ajahn Amro? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> it might be, but I'm just working on it. You know, can you call back? Or <laughs> 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 well, when the the Buddha's own kind of little riff on uh, the the mind getting lost in this sort of tangle, he says, "Why, uh, considering unwisely, they think, was I? What am I? What am I not?" Was I in the past? 
what was I in the past? How was I in the past? What am I now? Am I now? Am I not now? Am I both not now? And <laughs> am I neither not now? Or, or am I now? What will I be in the future? Will I not be in the future? How will I be in the future? Is this the self looking at the not-self? Is this the not-self experiencing the self? <laughs> it sort of launches into this sort of papuncha, a tangle of conceptual proliferation. So the point of, of, of anatta, the teachings on that, is not trying to find the um, it's not, the Buddha wasn't saying that, that we don't exist, but trying to point to the fact that the, nor that the things that we normally take ourselves to be is not truly what we are. That if you try to find a permanent abiding invulnerable self in a thought, in a feeling, in a memory, in the body, in the personality, in a mood, or, or even a, a blissful or concentrated state of mind, you can't find a, a permanent abiding separate entity in any of those things. So that the teachings on not-self are really um, there as a tool, as like a, a, um, like a, uh, a crowbar or a tire lever, like to, to lever off the the habit of identification from the, 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 the welter of things that we think of ourselves. You know, I just casually said, Ajahn Sundar was 10 years older than me. Well, is that, I mean, it's only a figure of speech, isn't it? So, you know, the, if the body's not self, you know, okay, well, is her mind 10 years older than mine? You know, how old is the mind? If the mind, you know, when is the mind born? When is it not born? How old is the mind? You can't, there's no ages there. So you can say a body is a certain number of eight years old, but beyond that it doesn't really have any meaning, does it? So that uh, the teaching on anatta is really just trying to uh, help it, the, the heart to no longer implant the feelings of separate selfhood into that which is not truly self a thought, a feeling, the body, the personality, so that it's uh, supporting that, that quality of, of non-identification, so that then what is real is then able to be uh, realized directly. So it's not like taking a philosophical position, meditation or going about the day here and or doing sitting and this waves of, of uh, dullness or excitement or fantasy or old pieces of music kind of wandering through waves of, of anger and uh, rage at uh, how we've been mistreated some painful event in our past then we feel terribly bad, I say that a wave of anger or fear. I've got a terrible fear problem. What can I do? I've, I've got, this, is, this is the retreat. Okay, this is it. We're, we're into the third millennium. I'm determined to get rid of my fear problem before the next millennium comes around. Okay. <laughs> I've got this big fear problem. I've got an anger problem. 
I'm a doubter, I think. <laughs> Am I a doubter, Ajahn Sandhya? No. She's got no doubt. So, so we make it all so personal, as if I created doubt in the universe. As if doubt didn't exist. Well, there was no anger in the universe till I came along. And I am the primogenitor of, of anger. That's the way we, we think, we, we relate to it, isn't it? That, that I have created this. This is absolutely me and mine. I am the, the generator of this. Rather than being a human being, like if, you know, having, a, having a radio, it can pick up various stations. It's like we don't, we don't think that the radio is actually generating all those different um, uh, pieces of music and conversations and dialogues and, and uh, documentaries. It's just receiving them. So similarly, uh, when we, we look at our own mind, um, look at what the teachings of Anatta are about. It's more like learn to, to recognize that your mind is picking up some broadcasts. You know, that because we're born, we have a body and have a mind, it's therefore capable of experiencing fear and lust and anger and jealousy and, and laziness and selfishness and etc., etc., along with kindness and beauty and wisdom and generosity and compassion and everything in between. That these, these things, the body-mind complex, is, is built <laughs> to experience. You know, all of these different qualities. So the fact that a few of them arise you know, now and then is no, is no, is nothing remarkable. But yet it's like the mind gets bright and clear and focused. Wow, I've made it at last. I must be the champion yogi. Day one and already just riveted on the moment. Absolute bliss not a defilement in sight for the last three hours. Wow! Or the other end of the spectrum, they're going to have to ship me out. I must be infecting the entire room with this kind of seething welter of nastiness. and kind of My id is spreading all over the floor. We take it all so personally. But uh, the teachings on anatta, to reflect on that, it's, it's not personal. This is just nature. The black tide of, of sludge from the id, or the, the blissful radiances of the Brahma realms and pure wisdom and kindness. Everything in between. The, the qualities of nature, like this. Anger arises and passes away. Bliss arises and passes away. Compassion arises, passes away. These are patterns in nature. It's not self. It's not a person. It's not who and what we are. It's not individual. So to be able to receive and reflect on experience in that way, just to use the power of, of investigation and contemplation, just to pick it up, yeah, and use these tools to, to, to meet experience, to investigate it, helps the heart to, to let go. And that's what these are for. And the, the reflective, contemplative thought can help to employ and, and work with the, 
the patterns of, of experience in this way. So, uh, speaking of compassion, I will leave it there for this evening. And uh, please take whatever these thoughts are useful, and uh, whatever else is not, please uh, leave aside. Well, anybody can. Mm-hmm.